Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to yet another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I am Mike Turner, your host, and with me is the engine that keeps this machine running, our producer Mason, and also joining from the St. Louis area is Sean Campbell. How are you boys doing today? Uh, I am. I've come down with an acute case of Havana syndrome today, but otherwise I'm fine. Well, I'll stop making that noise. Maybe you'll get over it. <laughs> and how are you doing, Sean? Oh, I'd, I'd say I'm riding pretty high. It was a pretty good week for me. So, at least sports-wise, hopefully we can keep that rolling. Yep, hopefully. We'll see how it goes. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. We got a kind of a big show for you coming up uh, today. Uh, we'll be covering, uh, you know, the World Cup qualifiers are starting. This will come out on Wednesday. They'll start on Thursday. Thursday night against uh, in Austin against Jamaica. And then also on Sunday night, uh, the boys will be down in Panama uh, for the World Cup qualifiers. And then next week on Wednesday, they will play back home at Columbus against Costa Rica. And we'll give a little rundown on that. We also have St. Louis City News. Uh, they did make a big hire, and John Hackworth will be uh, giving our thoughts and feelings on that. And uh, But first of all, I want to take a couple of minutes to address the mess that's going on with the NWSL. Uh, Paul Riley, uh, well-decorated and uh, was a well-respected coach in uh, you know women's soccer, professional soccer in the U.S., uh, was accused of sexual assault in the form of sexual coercion. Uh, big story covered ex uh, quite fully, uh, especially by Meg Lenahan in, on The Athletic. And also, they were on to talk about it in a great podcast on uh, Grant Wall's uh, Football with Grant Wall podcast as well. And if you need detailed information, those are the sources that I recommend to you. But giving a brief rundown on it, uh, yeah, there's... Just uh, players have come out. The players boycotted all the games last weekend because of this, claiming that uh, it is not a safe workplace environment in the NWSL. Uh, the commissioner, Lisa Baird, is out, as is the uh, chief legal counselor for the league. They're out. Of course, Paul Riley is as well. This follows on the heels of uh, somewhat similar uh, abusive uh, behavior going on with the Washington Spirit just a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, a real mess and a real shame uh, for all this. Yeah, I I don't think that we have a lot to add to this story. We're not investigative journalists or anything like that, but it feels irresponsible to not mention it because this keeps happening, not just in soccer, but in, in all industries, in all workplaces, and all the time. And it's quite frankly, it's disgusting. And it's not the fault of just the men who do it. This is a systemic problem. You can tell it's systemic because it happens everywhere all the time. And no matter how many rules are put in place, it keeps happening. And they keep getting hired. Uh, it also came out in 2015 when Paul Riley was the coach of the uh, Portland Thorns that there were similar allegations that were swept under the rug. And a lot of long-term issues a lot of the players are now speaking out and feeling strong about this. It's a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, 
FIFA has launched an investigation into the scandal that's going on with the league. It's uh, making headlines globally. It's just terrible. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just stop the exploitation for once? You know, everywhere. This is getting ridiculous. That sure would be nice, not to get too political, but like I said, it's systemic, and this is a system that is built on exploitation. So when there's a chance to push that exploitation a little bit further and you can get away with it, people are going to try to try to do that. And people like Paul Riley, they got away with it too many times. Yes, there's been a lot of long-term issues throughout the league on this. It's disgusting. So we did want to bring that up and make clear how this podcast feels about this situation. No, sir, we don't like it. We don't like it one bit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't mean to really laugh because it's a very serious subject, but like, yeah, um, you know, uh, it's not exactly like a brave stance to be coming down on like, you know, we I think that sexual assault is bad. Like, yeah, you're supposed to. It's (laughs) you're supposed to because it's 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 fucked up. I, I'm going to have to put an explicit tag on this one, but it's fucked up. Um, Anything more to say? Well, I, I want to bring up something that was mentioned on uh, on Grant Wall's podcast when he had the interview with um, with Meg Linehan and the other reporter who reported um, for, I think, the Washington Post. Don't remember her name, unfortunately. But um, it's here. It is uh, Molly Hensley Clancy. Um, but uh, Grant Wall asked a question about... Um, about why uh, players were coming to reporters with this and why it wasn't handled internally by the league. Um, and it was answered pretty succinctly by the journalists, and I feel similarly, but I just want to mention it here. Um, these cases, not just in soccer, but every time that this happens, um, like, you know, I'm big into into games. This has been a big issue in gaming recently, the games industry. Um these issues are brought up. They are brought to HR. They are brought to the the systems that are supposed to be in place to protect people and help people in workplaces, and they are ignored. So it's not like it happens and then they go right to a journalist, like, you know, like a tattletale. It's they have tried to go through the proper channels and have been brusquely ignored and blown off. And so they finally feel like their their only recourse is to take it to the press. And I think that is good. It takes a lot of strength to do that and especially put your name to it and not be an anonymous source. But it is necessary to hold these people accountable and to hold these systems accountable that ignore victims. Well said. So not a real good transition out of this, so we'll just skip right on in and start talking about some St. Louis City news and activity. Uh, Brief mention, the uh, Academy kids did play at home this past weekend against uh, Austin FC Academy, and two wins. U-17s won in a league game, and the U-16s won again, this time in a friendly against Austin. Uh, Good news, good development. And other developments with St. Louis City is the long-rumored uh, and reported hire of John Hackworth to join the St. Louis City SC team it has become official. Yeah, we reported that on that back that rumor back in what episode six, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's finally paid off. But he's been hired. He'll be the director of coaching for the franchise. On this, uh, 
little uh, backup on who John Hackworth is. Many of you know him because he was the head coach and quite successful one of uh, uh, Louisville City. Yes, in the USL. Uh, played often against St. Louis FC when they were in the USL. Yeah. Knocked us out many times. And uh, and when his uh, two and a bit year tenure there, uh, defeated us in the King's Cup many times. So not a big fan of Lou City, but I have a lot of respect for uh, for that team. And uh, he he John Hackworth was put uh, introduced on a new video podcast that's on the St. Louis City app called The City Voice. Uh, Peter Wood uh, was the uh, the host of that. Lutz was on with John Hackworth. And uh, for more detailed information, I reference you there. Also, there's an article on the app about him as well. But uh, we kind of break it down a little bit in case uh, to make it a little easier for you if you haven't already looked at the news. And who is John Hackworth? He has quite a you know biograph, quite a CV going. Uh, he started as a technical advisor with the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, their first technical director. In uh, 2009, he started as a with the youth development for an expansion team in MLS, the Philadelphia Union. He was assistant coach uh, when Peter Novak was fired. He then became the interim coach, became the full-on head coach for two years there. After that, he went on to U.S. soccer uh, with the U-17s, assistant coach, and then coached uh, three times, taking the U-17s of U.S. soccer to the under-17 World Cup. Wasn't he head coach of the U-17s? Yes. Three, yeah, after yeah. one year as assistant, then became the head coach. Yeah. Uh, then also was brought in with uh, head coach Bob Bradley for the men's national team. Uh, as an assistant coach and also in uh, youth development. And he was uh, with them when they had their historic win in the uh, in the Confederations Cup against Spain and breaking their long, what was it, 35-game international winning streak, a famous victory, and then uh, had the lead against Brazil in the final and lost it in the second half way back in 2009. After that, he then went to Louisville City, uh, they were champions in 2018, runners-up in 2019, and a shock move very early in the season. He left Louisville City, and everybody's waiting to see where he went. Well, now we know. He will be with St. Louis City. One thing to add to that, because um, I uh, he was actually at Lou City for three and a bit years, not two and a bit years. Um, but in 2020, they didn't make um, the, the finals, but they did have the best record in yes. the Eastern Conference for USL as well. So very, very well decorated tenure at Lou City in USL as well, um, on top of everything else that he's done. Yeah, the very. I, I was not aware of his extensive knowledge around the game. He also started at the age of 28 as a head coach in college soccer as well. Uh, he's a big get. He is. Big name. A lot of people were wondering where he was going to go. And now we know. Uh, his job will be, is essentially, he called it, he will be coaching the coaches to make sure in the philosophy of the team set forth by Lutz that everyone's on the same page, everyone has the same style of play. So to facilitate development of the youth to get them to the first team. Something Lutz has talked about a lot himself and is very prominent in 
over in, especially in Germany, where Lutz has a lot of his experience in the office, the front office at, and that's what we expect to see. Another big thing about Hackworth is that he has, you know, he started an expansion team with the Philadelphia Union. He was in youth development. He was head coach there. Uh, so he knows his ways around. And this is important because uh, with Lutz uh, having his background mostly in uh, international or, you know, European soccer, uh, it's good to have somebody in that really knows MLS and knows U.S. soccer with his youth development. He really knows uh, the players around the country, uh, the youth players, the ability to highlight specific uh, talents that could be brought into the academy, perhaps, and also a knowledge of MLS and uh, how the signings and things like that go. Something I've been very big on that they needed to have a presence, uh, either a head coach. Uh, this could be something that leads to that as well, but needed to have someone with extensive knowledge of how MLS works. As a matter of fact, he Hackworth did say, uh, learning how to navigate through uh, MLS uh, single entity league is extremely difficult because the way signing players is a different process than any other league in the world. So it's good to know exactly how that process goes when they get started. There may have been some teams looking at you, Cincinnati, that perhaps didn't really appreciate how difficult it might be on that. Uh, big signing for Hackworth. Uh, there's some interesting things of breaking it down that I had interest in. Uh, what's his exact role going to be with the team? Uh, is he going to be answering to Lutz or will he be answering to the new head coach? Yeah. And it's not clear. And we have differing opinions. Um, Sean, I want to hear from you first. What do you think? Honestly, I could see this in a couple different ways, but the one that I see as being most likely is he's going to be on the same level as Lutz. And in, <clears throat> I know in that podcast, they kind of alluded to him being his right-hand man, um, but I think it's going to be more of they're working on the same level. Lutz is going to come up with the style of play, and he's going to be like the technical director, and he's going to figure out that ident that identity and then what uh, – Hackworth's going to come up with is he's going to coach the coaches. He's going to be the guy that takes what Lutz wants to do and helps the coaches figure out how to coach the players. So the coaches are his players in a sense. Um, so he's not going to be a under Lutz, although in any, in some sort of convoluted, you know, depth chart on the corporate side, he may look underneath. They're going to work side by side. They're going to be, working at the same level, trying to figure out how to best build this academy from the ground up into an MLS team. And they did put a lot of emphasis on starting at the academy. But he's going to make sure all the coaches are on the same page, make sure they know how to properly coach their players to then get into that system. So he's not going to be answering to the head coach. The coach is going to be answering to him and Lutz at the same time. At least that's the way I see it. And honestly, I don't think I've at least not that I know of or I've actually heard of um, any team really actually having a coaching director. Um, I'm sure plenty of them have them, and I just don't know about them because they're kind of the behind-the-scenes guy. But when you get a big get like Hackworth, who knows the North American way, 
it's it's a big deal even if he's going to be kind of you know a behind the scenes kind of guy making sure everything's running smoothly and kids are actually being coached properly from day one in the U14s once that actually starts all the way until they make their MLS debut. Yeah, the one thing I see is though when you bring in a head coach, especially if it's someone with uh, you know a track record, especially for that first season, is he going to be dictated to by Hackworth on how that coaching style of play will be? Because in an earlier podcast, a couple of months ago, he was on the uh, This is Silly podcast with the Luligans, and uh, Lutz did say that uh, the the head coach that comes in would tweak, it, you know, it wouldn't be straight what they would do, and then they'd filter that down through the system. So I'm interested in seeing how that dynamic works. Yeah, um, it there's it, nothing was really made very clear um, through the interviews and stuff, but my understanding at first blush was that Hackworth was going to be kind of like a middle manager between both the head coach and Schumacher, the the youth uh, or academy head coach, and Lutz. He was going to be kind of the go between guy there. So. Basically, he would work with both Schumacher and whoever ends up being head coach, um, you know, uh, takes grievances and ideas from them, brings them to Lutz and vice versa from Lutz to the coaches. I think that it's going to be kind of more a combination of that and what Sean described, where they're a little bit more on parity, where Hackworth's a little more on parity with Lutz than than just like a straight up like middle manager kind of role. But I don't know if we're ever really going to know, because like Sean said, it's a very behind the scenes role. And this is probably the most we're really going to hear about Hackworth is right now when we don't have a lot else going on. Uh, that or if there is friction between what he has and the the new head coach or whoever the head coach is, then we'll learn about it then mm-hmm. as well. And such things have been known to happen in sports and they happen more frequently than we'd like to uh, perhaps admit on that. Lutz did say that Hackworth's hiring is really going to help him on a day-to-day basis by taking various facets that Lutz has been handling. Uh, Schumacher had a little trouble getting over to this country to coach the U-17s. Or, yeah, and uh, Lutz was taking on some of that coaching role himself. Also, lining everything up with the coaches. Now he can take that off because he's got to get start getting ready to start setting up a team and uh, while it's a long way away, the clock is ticking. And uh, especially with the uh, international DPs, you got to get started on them early to talk them into coming over. And I definitely think one of those things, one of those responsibilities that he's going to be taking off of Lutz's shoulders is Lutz can now start finally looking specifically at what players he wants to fill, what roles on that, as they said in the podcast, reserve team and then build the MLS team on top of that. Um, so he can start focusing on specifically players. And I think what uh, some of what Hackworth is going to do is he's going to start scouting out coaches for the other teams. You know, get somebody for that reserve team, get some, and then look at who he wants, who he thinks will fit the system for that MLS squad. So it's kind of, it's literally what they're saying. They're splitting responsibilities so that Lutz isn't doing all the things at once. There was something telling in the interview that the written interview, not the podcast interview, but the written interview. Um, Hackworth was talking about the the system 
and the philosophy. And he made a good point that um, this isn't about playing like specifically like a 4-3-3 or any kind of formation. It's about having the style of play that is going to be high pressing and have that very attacking style philosophy that Lutz wants to play without being tied to a formation. I thought that was really interesting. I like that because formations can sometimes break down. And if you're tied to one, you're going to run into problems against certain teams. So I like the idea that you're fluid in your formations, but you have the same identity as a team. And I think that Hackworth's big role is going to be communicating that to all the coaches underneath him is yeah. my take. And one thing we missed in all this at uh, starting off a uh, little less than a year from now is the proposed... Uh, what is it? Uh, third division of soccer, lower division leagues. The MLS is going to start that uh, St. Louis City signed on to really sort of competing against uh, the second level of USL in in some ways. And that'll be part of this uh, journey as well. Hackworth did say that uh, the high pressing aggressive style that is Lutz philosophy is uh, the new modern soccer. It's the way the soccer all over the world, is moving towards. And he says it is a very difficult thing to do, and it requires a lot of the players to be able to adjust, make decisions, uh, be able to, you know, kind of combine their roles with what's needed in the club, a sort of total soccer, as it will. Not quite what uh, uh, the a Netherlands <laughs> and Ajax played back in the 70s. with A Johan total Kraft, soccer but... show, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> No, no word if uh, Taylor's going to be joining the staff from Total Soccer <laughs> Show. Anything else to add on the Hackworth hi hiring? Nothing comes to mind. Okay, we covered that well. We'll find out more as time goes along, either with uh, releases from the club or the play on the field, whether good or bad. We'll find out more as time goes along. So... I guess now is the time to adjust uh, to address uh, the big thing in U.S. soccer right now, other than what's going on in the NWSL, is uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. The second window begins coming up on Thursday, and uh, there is no Christian Pulisic. There's no Gio Reyna. They are out injured. John Brooks now has a back injury. He's officially out as of yesterday or today. Reporting started yesterday. He was not going to be on the squad. Uh, so they're out. Uh, Tim Ream, St. Louis and Tim Ream, uh, backed out for personal reasons uh, before the roster was announced. Uh, Josh Sargent, also a St. Louisan, was left off the roster, as was uh, Jordan Pifak, uh out. Conrad De La Fuente as well. It, but he's not injured. He's left off. So mm -hmm. he's one of the ones. Uh, there's a... A few of them and a few new names coming into the squad. We've got uh, Matthew Hoppy and Shaq Moore are back. Uh, when they missed the first window because they were lining up their club situation for the regular season, that's taken care of, and they're going to be back in the squad. Uh, we also have Luca De La Torre. He has been with the team before, uh, but this is uh, people been calling for his inclusion. He'll be there in the midfield role. A uh, big one, especially with John Brooks out, is Chris Richards, the Bayern Munich youngster, uh, center back who's was on loan for half a season last year with Hoffenheim, is back on loan with Hoffenheim this year, been playing very well for Hoffenheim. They're very happy with him. 
and uh, he'll be on the team. It's his time to shine. Uh, it's very telling that uh, he keeps getting loaned out. Bayern Munich's not getting rid of him. And he's a young center back, athletic, and those are in high demand on the world stage. So it's a big time for him to show himself internationally. Another one everybody's been calling for is Yunus Musa. The uh, Valencia youngster, he was injured during the last window. He'll be called in on this one. Uh, remember, he was there for the League's Cup, but did not play in that. He has an exciting talent. He's very young, still a little raw, but uh, his ability, like De La Torre, to push the ball on the dribble uh, from midfield up into the attacking third is something that was very much needed in the past window. So they've got two players capable of doing that on this one. Giassi Zardes was injured, as was Paul Oriola. They're on the squad this time around. And, uh, of course, uh, everyone's favorite, Ricardo Pepe, will be back. And uh, him Pepe. and Zardes, they're the only two El strikers. Train. Yeah, El Tren. Uh, he'll be back. Who won't be on this team is uh, LA Galaxy uh, fullback Julian Araujo. He was announced today that he has officially filed a one-time change to change his allegiance to El Tri with Mexico. Kind of a deep pool. He would have been higher up in the pool, but uh, there's a lot of players of similar capabilities coming on. One uh, fullback who isn't on this roster, but probably will be, is the exciting young talent Joe Joe Scali, who was in the uh, New York City uh, Development Academy, along with Gio Reyna, their best friends. He's with... uh, Buchengladbach, he's having a very good season. The club has been saying that he's the big winner so far coming in. And uh, he's been playing very well, even scored this past week in the Bundesliga. He's not on this squad. Some questions raised about that. Berhalter may be wanting just to, he's got like less than a dozen senior professional league games that he's ever played in. Maybe Berhalter wants him to settle in a little bit more. I do expect him before the end of qualifying to certainly be a part of this. He looks exciting. He is playing at a very high level right now. I think we'll see him in the future, maybe even November. There's a lot of names on this list of new to camp that I'm really excited to see and see back. Um, Standouts for me, Hoppy, Shaq Moore, uh, Zardes. Zardes has been tearing it up. I'm really happy to see him. Um, Matthew Hoppy was really fun to see in the Gold Cup. Glad to see him back because he's energetic. I don't know. You know, he's good. How great is he? I don't know, but he's fun to watch. He was electrifying. He was an electrifying presence in the Gold Cup. And Shaq Moore is just solid. I like I like Shaq Moore. Thing to keep in mind is uh, Shaq Moore is not really playing for his club. And uh, Matthew Hoppy's not been getting a lot of minutes in the past month as well. Of course, what happens with the club? Form for club is not necessarily form for country. I was going to say, their last performances for country were very good. Mm. But it's something to keep in mind on that. Uh, Brendan Aronson, with the lack of Reyna and Pulisic, means we're going to see Aronson and Weah probably starting as the wingers. And uh, excited to see that. Uh, Any of these newcomers uh, grab your attention there, Sean? Well, there uh, there are a couple names, maybe not necessarily all newcomers, but uh, I did notice one name's finally getting his uh, World Cup qualifier run out, and I think we all know who I'm talking about there. Um, Ooh, which, by C-O. the way, Ooh, 
he got his first goal for his club. And that's always very exciting. He's very much becoming a very important piece to that team, trying to get out of that relegation zone. Um, but no, I mean, you guys hit the nails on the head. I'm I'm just really excited looking at this lineup up and down. Uh, I see a lot of names that can make a lot of that can make a big dis- difference. Sergio Dest finally coming in to make it for a qualifier. I'm very excited to see him on there. Um, very sad that Tim Ream isn't going to be there, but you know, at the same time. It gives Walker Zimmerman another shot because they did announce he's covering for Tim Ream. Um, don't know if mm-hmm. we mentioned that one yet. So I, I'm very excited to see what this group can do, uh, especially with an, enough of these guys finally getting that first real World Cup qualifier experience under their belt. Um, hopefully they can kind of help the guys that are around their around that age group finally getting their first call up to a qualifier, kind of better acclimate to the situation. But We'll have to see how it goes. It'll definitely be a little bit easier with two of the games being at home. Um, but I would love to. I'm, I'm excited to see Tim Weah. Uh, Aronson impressed me last window, and I can't wait to see what he can do this window. Uh, but one name that I think we need to talk about a little bit is uh, Weston McKenney. Yes. He's yeah. back. And we have. I think we need to uh, at least touch on what's going on here. Uh, Burhalter uh, has his own podcast. Uh, what with uh, he gets interviewed by Bobby Warshaw on the U.S. Soccer podcast. Quite good listening. Uh, he said that uh, pretty much it looks like uh, he is back, but uh, McKinney's going to have to regain some trust with both the coaching staff and with the players as well. And uh, you know he's going to be penciled in, but he's really out of form for his club for Juve. He's not playing well. He's <laughs> You know, had this disciplinary issue uh, with the uh, men's national team. Uh, we'll see how that goes. He's just not been playing well at all lately. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get a lot of starting minutes at the very least, uh, especially with you. He's one of those guys where he's so integral to this team at the moment that you can't cut him out and risk not qualifying for the sake of, of discipline. Um but you also can't just say, okay, well, we need you to play these big minutes because we need you. And then basically it comes out to being just a slap on the wrist and like, oh, you did, you just don't do it again. When in reality, it could have been a very, very big issue. Um, so I don't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start, but he comes off, comes on as a sub, like a late sub, just if we need him. But we're going to, I feel like Berhalter is going to try to move on without him while having him if he absolutely has to use it. Uh, not sh- uh, Him being kicked out of camp was pretty severe punishment. Uh, older players said that they never recall anyone being kicked out of camp before, though some of them behind the scenes have told reporters that they were really surprised that some players didn't get kicked out of camp in the past. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I think if Berhalter's bringing him in, he'll play him. But I can see him not starting. First of all, he's not in good form. Uh, but he's integral to what they do. Let's see how that goes. Tyler Adams had a little injury scare uh, a week or so ago, but he's back. He seems to be in fine shape and talking to the media. Uh, anyone else that we didn't mention, they were there in the last window. They'll be back this time. I do want to just go back to McKinney for a second. Um and not about his form, but like his behavior in previous camp. Um, you know, he got his punishment and he served it. 
Um, there's no real like justice if they aren't given a chance to prove that they learned their lesson. So Burhalter is basically giving him a chance to prove that he learned his lesson. That's why he that's his that's why he got invited back is what I think. So if if he acts up again, he might not come back, but he's back this time to, to basically see like, all right, are you going to behave this time? And uh, Burhalter said, you know, McKinney's still a very young player and young players make mistakes both on the pitch and off the pitch. You <coughs> kind of correct him? Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I had a little frog in my throat there. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Uh, the game's coming up. Panama is tied with the U.S. with five points and uh, really beat up Jamaica in Kingston 3-0 in the last window. Jamaica is going to have maybe some players that weren't with the team because of COVID travel restrictions being in the UK. Those have been lessened. As long as they're fully vaccinated, they won't have to go through a quarantine. Plus, that quarantine's been cut from 10 days to, to, down to five. So even if they are put in quarantine when they come back, they'd only miss one game. Uh, don't know how Jamaica's, how they're feeling because they were not very good in the last window. Uh, bringing up the bottom of the... Uh, the octagonal and uh we'll see what they go how are they going to play they're coming to the u.s uh they're also going to play el salvador and uh canada maybe they're thinking those are more winnable games in the u.s and they rotate out of that match or perhaps they come at it bunker down and try to hit on the counter that's kind of what i expect after the canada game last window I'm expecting a lot of buggered down defenses. If a coach doesn't do that against this U.S. team that last window showed it couldn't break them, uh, then that coach probably should be fired. Yeah, because they're going to get burned. Looking through the names on this list, Berhalter also stressed this. He's looking for verticality. This team is made up of fast runners that know how to move. Pepe and uh, Zardes know how to move behind the lines. We didn't see that at Sargent and Pifok, especially against Canada. Everything was so static. Uh, and also, he's looking to move the ball quicker. You know, they were trying to shift him apart, but it was so slow that Canada just strolled over to the other side and defended. And you can't break down tough defenses that way. And is Jamaica as good on defense as Canada? Well, Canada's not that very good, but they were well-trained and uh, disciplined in their defense. I really can't get over just how lazy the the attacking was in that Canada game. I'm still talking about it. But... Um, the big thing is, is that um, most of the attacking like pressure really came in transition, like the true like threats were in a transition play. So it seems like Burhalter is trying a different style where they can actually puncture through defenses instead of just hoping for a turnover. Um, hopefully that pays off because that's really been lacking. And uh, I would like to get Sean's opinion, because the big story in this camp is your two best attacking players, Pulisic and Reyna, are out. What are we, anything you're going to be looking for out of this window without those players to lead the attack, Sean? Yeah, without those two guys, um, if you're looking for verticality, I think what you're going to have to do is you're going to need to look at your wing backs. They're going to need to be flying up and down those wings all game, start to finish, uh, they got to be good on the ball, whipping on those crosses. They got to be able to run at guys, take guys on, and actually show up that they have the dribbling skills and to to get around guys. Um, 
you know, Sergio Dest, we know he can do it. I just want to see him do it at the national level. Yedlin's shown flashes. Um, I, I, I want to, I expect a lot out of these wing backs to be able to, fl- again, fly up and down those wings both ways. You have to be able to get back in time. But uh, that's, I think, where a lot of our attacking chances are really going to come from. Uh, as much as you want that midfield to be dominant and be able to dribble through guys and, you know, pull off a Joao Paulo, um, a lot of it's going to come from your wing, your wing backs making great runs, getting hit wide, not good switching from one side to the other, and then attacking the weak side, flipping it back into the box, put it on Zardis's head, boom. That's it. Yep. Or Pepe, whoever starts. Okay. After that last showing, I I'm I have a feeling we get Pepe in Austin, Zardis on the road in Panama is my expectation, but who knows? I was gonna say, how's this for an idea? Um two up front, Pepe and Zardis. Uh We'll have to see. That hasn't been really something that the U.S. has run with very much. They did try that. Was it in the Gold Cup with uh, DK and uh, Zardes, but it did not work very well at all. I, I think yeah, it's it's an interesting idea, but I don't think we're ever going to run that just because the, the last time I remember the U.S. running staggered strikers, because that's the only way I see this working. So you have a guy up front, makes a hold-up play, the other guy runs off. Last time I remember seeing that, was uh, two guys, you may have heard of them before, by the names of Dempsey and Altador. I, we don't have the guy, we don't have, I don't think we have the right personnel to make that work. As much as I'd love to see El Tren work with Zardas and just destroy center backs' psyches, it, it wouldn't work. Because then you'd have to operate under effectively a 4-4-2 Unless you want to go really funky and do a three-five-two, it, it's just not going to work with the personnel we have. Yeah, I mean, I floated that idea mostly as a joke, right? But like talking about it seriously, yeah, I don't know what their chemistry is in camp. I don't know if they're if I they seem like they're pretty both like pretty solid just strikers. That that's what they do. They just operate up front. They don't. They're not. They don't seem like the kind of like striker pair kind of players um i like like you know i like the idea it's a nice dream but i don't think it would happen in in reality plus keep in mind weya and hoppy also have the ability to play striker that's what hoppy does for club he's not a winger uh, though he often makes his movement by coming in from the outside so you could really play off of whichever one of those are in the game play off of them as like Altador really needed somebody like Dempsey because Altador works has always worked best in a two-striker system with somebody to play off of. I don't see that Zardes or Pepe really need that, though Pepe gets a lot of help from uh, Jesus Ferreira with FC Dallas. Uh, but uh, they don't really need that. But you do have, you got to have people to cut in. Uh, you got to have people to push it. And uh, you look at this, Paul Areola gives you a lot of verticality. He can't score, but uh, as uh, Adam yeah, Bell says, say, on, like we saw, he can run all the way up the pitch by himself. Um, but he's got to be know, able to lay the ball off because he can't. He can't even hit the the broadside of a barn on his own. <laughs> he's been doing it for DC United. I don't know. Lately. Hasn't he scored since he came back? Yeah, at least twice. Yeah, and uh, some of them were like, "Wow, 
When did you put that club in your bag, Mr. Ariola? <laughs> I like what Adam Bells on the Scuff Podcast calls him. He's danger adjacent. He certainly puts in a shift. Uh, he's good to get into space, clear space on a break. Uh, but uh, don't. I'm not going to hold my breath on him finishing. As opposed to if Jordan Morris was healthy and on this team, I'd definitely count on him finishing. Yeah, like like talking very seriously about Paul Ariola, like one of his big skills is that he, his ability to dribble and and make runs um, with the ball. He just needs somebody with him that's making the run alongside because when he's left on his own, he can't quite get the job done. He can get it most of the way there. He can get it to the five yard line. He he needs somebody to fit, close it up. And uh, that's always been the knock on him. It's probably the one thing he lacks is uh, being clinical in front of goal uh, on that. Uh, it, we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of talent on this team. The other thing to keep in mind, uh, a lot of calls for Broherl to, to expand the rosters out even larger to take for injuries or whatnot. But there is, they didn't replace Brooks when he was out with an injury, which probably means that you're looking at James Sands getting a call in in camp if needed. They still have four. Mark McKenzie and uh, Walker Zimmerman are on the roster as well, on top of Richards and, uh, of course, Miles Robinson. Uh, but uh, one thing the U.S., they're, they're trying to break down bunkered down defenses, but the U.S. almost has scored all of their goals during this summer, you know, League's Cup, Gold Cup, and then World Cup qualifying on the break. So it's one thing you're going to get bunkered down defenses. you got to try to attack it. But another thing is get the ball out in the open and run. And uh, we'll see how they're able to do that. It, you get a feeling that Jamaica will allow that. Maybe Panama at home will be more expressive. And no idea what Costa Rica is going to bring. One thing I want to say about the bunker down defense, though, you can swing it around the back all you want. You can switch the field. You can run, try to run at him and just not get anything done. But at the end of the day, if you swing it around for 60 minutes and they're moving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, that's going to take a toll on them. And eventually mm -hmm. they're going to get tired and that'll open up that transition game. So even though you, we can sit and watch it be nil nil up until the hour mark and we're just passing it along the back and trying up the side, nothing happens. Try it up the other side. There's still something happening there. And I, it can't be understated just how tired some guys can be just for running three yards one way, then three yards the other, then three yards back. It really does end up taking a toll in the end. And especially, not perhaps in the first game, but going along with three games in a week, U.S. has a deep player pool. Uh, 21 and 22 field players saw action in the last window, and uh, nothing says that that won't change. Berhalte's ability to rotate, still there's plenty of talent on this roster without Pulisic and Reyna to get uh, seven points at least out of this window. But we got to see how they play the game. Uh, it's a young team. What was it? Um, a dozen or more of them made their first World Cup qualifying, maybe 17 of them in that last window. In that last window. Uh, they didn't play all that well. They didn't play up to their capabilities. Maybe they'll relax a little more the second time around and play a little bit better on the pitch for the coach. It's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Any other thoughts on uh, the qualifying window as we see it? from our, you know, well-placed vantage point a long way away from camp. Yeah, the, the ivory tower of the podcaster's den. I think that's about all I got. Yeah, I got nothing else. 
And I guess that's all of the w- pearls of wisdom that will drop from our mouths here in our crystal crystal chamber. Our crystal palace, <laughs> yes. if you will. The star chamber. For now. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back next week to, to, to give them the what for if we don't get the uh, points we're expecting. As will Twitter, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And uh, coming up, we're going to do a little... Uh, MLS Roundup, and uh, give you your Sporting Kansas City moment with Sean. But first, a quick break. See you on the other side. And welcome back to the Soccer Capital Podcast. Now comes the time of the show where we're going to do a little uh, roundup of what's happening in MLS because St. Louis City is going to be part of MLS, so why not pay attention? But first off, as usual, we got our boy Sean Campbell here with his Sporting KC moment. Our boy. <laughs> it's, it's, there's only one boy we need to talk about right now, and that boy, well, really man at this point because he's starting to get calls for the Hungarian national team. My boy Daniel Shallowy. Oh my goodness, did he have a big week? Johnny Russell had a big week. It's it's just been a great week for Sporting KC soccer. Two big old wins. Granted, they weren't against the strongest of opponents, but you know, big wins are big wins, especially when they, you know, when they come this late in the season when you need points, they're pushing for that top spot. Um that a W is a W. Great. W's a W, boys. Um they've looked real good on the on the attack. It's been great. Uh, shall we for MVP? You heard it here first, boys. Um, if nothing else, golden boot, let's go. But, uh, you know, I, this team baffles me every day because you look at the wins they got, they let up some not so great goals and the defense can look so strong for so long. And then they just, it, all of a sudden they turn from a brick wall into Swiss cheese. It, we have arguably one of the best, if not the best, center back pairing in the in MLS right now. Um, I say arguably because there is room for argument, and I will allow that. Um, but we have two of the best ball moving center backs. They're very great defensively, but it we just fall apart and look like cheese at times. But you know what? It's okay. Wins a win. Hopefully, we can shore that up before playoff time because it's looking like we're making the playoffs. And I knock on wood. But it's looking like we're making the playoffs and we're going to have home field advantage. I'd rather not get the bye because we saw how that worked out when we had more than a week off. It did not look good. But uh, moving on into into the rest of the MLS this week, I'd like to start off by saying that El Trafico never ceases to amaze me, even though it was 1-1. Exciting match, for sure. Yeah, El Trafico, one of the most fun rivalries. Was that on ESPN or Fox? I believe that one was on ESPN. Uh, I think I believe so. Is specifically with ESPN. And uh, no, Fox has them as well. Uh, yeah. But I believe it was Taylor Twelman made the uh, point uh, that every time there's an El Trafico, uh, both the Galaxy and LAFC just just throw way too much into attack and just you know leave their defense just sitting out to dry yeah it, it's one of the like rivalries in north american sports where it's a real rivalry and it's not just hyped up they really come out to play uh in true me kind of like, fashion 
Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Reminds me of like old school like NHL rivalries where they just beat the shit out of each other. Sunderland and Newcastle when Sunderland before they fell to pieces. That was a heck of a didn't matter who was doing well, you just never knew what was gonna happen in that derby. Tottenham and Arsenal. North London Derby, baby. It doesn't matter yeah. who's in the in who's where in the table, they're gonna slug it out. Celtics Rangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portland, Seattle. They did not play this week, but boy, Seattle played, especially Jao Paolo. Oh, there it is. In <laughs> Lumen Field. Oh, going oh, full beast mode. Full really? beast mode, like Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> oh, they were at home, too. It was the same field. I didn't even think yeah. about that. Yep, yeah, yep. we got beast mode 2.0. And if you haven't seen it, uh, producer Anders of Extra Time Radio Podcast uh, did put out a video in which he used Marshawn Lynch talking and recapping his own beast mode run and uh, matched it up with the footage of Jao Paolo. It was brilliant. It's really good. And it's it matches really up good. extremely well with what Marshawn Lynch said about his run. No word, though, that uh, it set off seis- seismometers in uh, in the Seattle area like uh, beast mode did when he did that run in the playoffs a few years back. Nor have we heard if uh, if the deafening crowd noise of the crowd has uh, caused a Denver quarterback to, uh, <laughs> to to miss, say, the snap and get a safety on the first play from scrimmage. <laughs> we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I hurt your little Broncos feelings? Well, you would have if I was still paying any attention to the NFL <laughs> like I used to. Uh, the other team in the Pacific Northwest, the Portland Timbers, have just gone beast mode running themselves. They are tearing it up. Uh, Colorado looked pretty firm in third place in the West. Now Colorado can't get a win. They lose or they draw. And Portland's just storming up the table right now. They've done this before. Uh, come from nowhere. Put on that late run. Gio Savarese, they try to play, you know... Nice attacking soccer, get down the end of the year, bunker down that defense and hit on that devastating counter, and they're doing it again, and they're looking frightening heading into the playoffs. Yeah. The Rapids are a good team, but it's important to remember that they are owned by Stan Kroenke, and that means that we are obligated to hate them. Even though Stan Kroenke can't remember that he actually owns that team. (laughs) He's too busy right now ruining Arsenal. That's the reason why the Rapids are playing well. Robin Frazier for STL City... uh, first head coach by the way you heard it here now <laughs> yeah no um Kroenke owns the rapids uh wait we're already putting the explicit tag on this right right yeah, yeah you so, can, yeah um, i already fuck fucking Kroenke. swore so fuck much Kroenke. he can ruin Arsenal all he wants thank you for doing so my friend um you're not my friend though but the enemy of my enemy you know the thing anyway yeah speaking fuck of Kroenke. playoffs <laughs> Playoffs. Playoffs. Well, first of all, Playoffs. I got one more thing on the Timbers. They beat Inter Miami with a late goal in the 83rd minute by their DP Nesgoda, who's been injured. But in the time he has played in MLS, he has 14 shots, 11 on target, nine goals. Yeah, that's Talk about unbelievable clinical. efficiency. Yeah, clinical. they they add him at the end of the year while they're on this run. They got Sebastian Blanco back. They're looking very, very dangerous. Yeah, I don't want to meet them in the first round. That's for sure. Yeah. Inner Miami of all teams. 
uh, who played well, but gave up that goal. They just did not mark him on a corner. Well, and also that slapdash front office. They, uh, we've already done our shows on that. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, back to playoffs. 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 Yes. Uh, who's um, going to make it? I'm. Sure it's all locked in now, isn't it? Oh no! It is anything <laughs> but locked in at this point. If you look at the races, just to uh, just to give a brief rundown, if you look at the East, it's as tight as tight can be. Atlanta's except only at one... the top. <laughs> yeah, except for the Revolution. That's that's whatever. But Atlanta yeah, is only one point out right now. But if they get a well-timed win, they can jump from eighth place all the way to third. That's right, third place. Talk about tight. I think there's something crazy like, uh, let me roll back to this to the standings here. Yeah, three teams tied for fifth place right now. Three teams tied for fifth place. What we should do is start talking about who's hot, because we did that two weeks ago. Uh, Enter Miami, Atlanta, uh, looking at you. And two weeks later, they, they've dropped way back down on the standings. But like you said, one good week, and they're right back at the top. It is usual MLS nuts, and this is nuttier than most seasons. Yeah, I said this off air. Um, I've never seen a league, including the NFL, where the phrase comes from, that's been such any given Sunday kind of sports. That's MLS. That's why you don't bet on MLS. That's what they call parody. But even the NHL, which loves to tout its parody, is not like this. There are bad teams. You know you can oh, yes. win against like the Red Wings or the Sabres. You don't know that you can win against Toronto. Sometimes Toronto comes out and surprises you. It's it's really an any given Sunday kind of league. It's it's surprising. However, speaking about the enforced parody in MLS, did the Texas Texas State Legislature pass a law against parody? Because those three teams are holding down the Western Conference. No, they passed a law against abortion. No, <laughs> I was going to say, of- they passed some kind of law. But no, the battle of the bottom, battle for the bottom, still going on. So it's 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 almost fitting because they're, you know, basically the bottom of the U.S., so it makes sense. Um, but the rest of the West is almost as tight as, as in the East because the Whitecaps, they're only one point out, but with a win, they can jump into fifth. I mean, it's not as set in stone as the top two in in the East. The top four are basically set in stone in the West. It's just who's going to finish where. But uh, it, it's still, you could have anybody as far down as 10th with, with the Earthquakes still having a, a real chance, although falling off chance, of making the playoffs. This is, this is getting interesting for sure. And RSL still in there messing everything up. Without well, an not owner. so much now. Not so much now because, uh, <laughs> speaking of the battle of the bottom, Austin FC got a very yes. well-earned win against RSL, and their next season's looking very promising for them. They're they're looking forward, but they're also playing out so they can get the reps, get the time in, get these players playing together so that they're gelled and ready to go next season. And I'm calling it now, boys. They're pushing for a spot next year. You love to see it. You love to see it. Let's go. Our boys in green. Yeah. The question is, why do they wait so long to get a striker? Look at how they play and they can score when they got a striker. Why did they think that Danny Hosen was going to be the answer? He hasn't been the answer anywhere. They 
that that's the one mistake they made and it really was a problem for yeah them. but it, it's the struggles of an expansion team you don't know the weaknesses you have until you put something out on the field and then it's difficult to correct them we're gonna run into that ourselves we yes. got to be aware of that <laughs> oh yes that's oh yes anything else at mls catch your attention one last thing um Looking at the uh, the MLS week's best 11, I just would like to note that uh, Daniel Shallowy, Johnny Russell, and Gotti Kinda, all the sporting KC made the lineup. Granted, Shallowy was the only quote-unquote best 11. The other two were on the, on the subs roster, but that's great. Um, but the player of the week, and I cannot understate how beautiful of a performance he's had this week, White Cat White. I, I want to say it's Brian White. White it is caps, Brian White. Yes, Brian White caps a huge night for the White Caps. It was it was had a hat trick. Brian White Caps. Win. You might say. Yeah, Brian White Caps. A huge win for the White Caps. I it doesn't get more poetic than that. There is one team we haven't mentioned. It's last is the defending MLS Cup winners, Columbus Crew. But we almost forgot about them completely because the Campiones Cup well, we was played against Gruza Azul last uh, Wednesday and the Columbus crew won. Completely forgot about that. And they beat my Liga Emekis team. Yeah. And as tight as that race is in the East, Columbus has not been mentioned of being in that mix. They look done. But they sure beat the shit out of Cruz Azul. <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. If you can sacrifice, you know, if you're on the bubble, but you sacrifice those league wins to win hardware, you go for the hardware, especially if you're looking as down and out of the league as they are right now. And this strange thing with Caleb Porter's MLS coaching career continues where one year they're very good, even win the title, and the next year they're just crap. It happened with Portland. They fell off, didn't make the playoffs after they won the title. Same thing's happened with the crew. It's happened throughout his career in MLS. And no one can really put their finger on why. Go in San Francisco Giants mode. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So, <laughs> anything else this week to wrap up? Well, I do just want to mention, I know this is a soccer podcast, but this is a St. Louis soccer podcast, and so I just want to say, go Birds. Go Cardinals, Cardinals versus Happy Dodgers flight. in the wild card. Go Birds. All we're missing yep. now is our rally animal. Do we find it tomorrow night during the wild card playoff game? Hopefully so. But that's <laughs> all we're missing for a great World Series run is a rally and animal. Then, and then people will be dressing up as it for 10 more years. Yeah. The exactly. game-breaking gecko runs on the field at Dodger <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> that awkward moment when a gecko actually causes a rally and the Cardinals win, <laughs> and we now have a game-breaking gecko. <laughs> Cardinals devil magic. Oh, you got to respect the devil magic. And on those wonderful words, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Remember, thank you for listening. Uh, please follow, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps you out. Help helps you out. It helps us out too. So it's a win-win situation. It helps you out because you are karmically retributed for doing a good act. Can you spell that? <laughs> anyway can you use it in a sentence <laughs> <laughs> he just did uh but enough of this silliness i'm your host mike turner i'm your producer mason and i'm your resident hooligan sean campbell 
and we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.